you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand and keep it raised high, then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. By no means is this an exhaustive teaching on singleness, but it is one particular chapter that I believe the Apostle Paul speaks the most about singleness. Um, anytime you have a topic of the theology of singleness, it's, it's not a really fun topic. It's not like everyone's like, ooh, I can't wait to go hear that one, right? But I appreciate it that, especially our married couples, that you guys didn't say, oh, we, we graduated, we passed that, we're married, forget those singles, we're out of here, right? Glad you guys are here because it's not about the topic we're teaching on. It is the fellowship that we have together. Um, what we did was just look at the demographics of our church. And what we found this week, with the help of Ryan Arneson, one of our pastors here, is that 70 to 80% of our congregation are not married, right? That's not including the kids, which we have a very low rate among marriage with our children as well. So <laughs> 70 to 80%. Now, having said that, I just thought about this, and I didn't do this last service too. If you have children, by the nature of this particular topic and dating and stuff you're not supposed to do before you get married, that topic... Those questions are going to come up, um, so if you want to go ahead and take your children to children's ministry to not hear some of those, those, those topics, those questions, um, go ahead and do it if you're okay. If you're like, oh, that's all right. We talk about it with our kids all the time. That's fine. I just know that we have young kids here, but there's things that we're going to talk about sexually, or, you know, I can spell it, but I can only spell the, <laughs> I'm not that good, <laughs> um, and I refuse to draw any pictures, so anyways. Having said that, uh, so we have 80%, and so it's, it's no surprise, 78% of our people that are not married, there's no surprise that we got a lot of questions on dating. Um, and the re- reason why I chose the topic of singleness is because um, dating is mentioned absolutely nowhere in the Bible. And so singleness is, and I believe if we understand what the Bible teaches about singleness and we can facilitate questions uh, from, um, from dating or whatever questions you guys may have. We had some interesting ones last hour. I, I, um, I suspect we will have equally as interesting one, and they will get more and more interesting as the day goes on because <laughs> it gets younger and younger as the day goes on. So singleness, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. L- let me just tell you this. First of all, it all depends on where you, co- like your background when you're coming into this and coming into Christianity. Some of you grew up in church. You grew up around church, and so the thought of... Um, being married or maybe the pressure of being married is something that was intense or maybe your desires for being married have already, already been there. And some of us, we became Christians um, maybe when we became adults and we never had that pressure. No matter what, here's what I want to be able to do for the framework. I want to talk about what our culture talks about um, singleness um, and then from there, a perspective that Paul has on singleness. And this would be a kingdom perspective on singleness. And then about four practical things that will help us before we jump into the questions. So again, I'll teach for about 20 minutes, and then we'll facilitate some questions as we did last week. And so before I get into this, um, it's, it, it seems like an easy topic. It's really not an easy topic, especially answering questions that you're not really sure what's going to get asked. So would you guys, if anything, pray for me. Bow your heads and let's pray. <laughs> God, we thank you so much for your word, and, I, and um, we love you, God, and we love you because you first loved us. God, we say that phrase, Lord, that, that this whole life that we have is all for you, including our singleness, including our marriage, including our dating, including our children, including everything that you've given us. God, would you give us wisdom? Would you give us discernment straight out of your word today, Lord? Would the spirit of Christ just completely inhabit the praise of your people this morning? God, would you use me, Lord, in such a way that I can speak not my words but your words, and effectively, Lord? God, we thank you for the gathering of your people and what you do and how you meet us here. So we thank you for your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I became a Christian. I'm 21, 22 years old. I graduated from college, and I start going to this church. And um, I wanted to be married, because I, not because of any pressure or whatever. I just knew that I wanted to be married. Um, I wanted a family and so forth. That was just a desire that I had, and I was attracted to, to, to the opposite sex, and so I figured I would get married someday. And I wanted to marry a Christian girl, but the problem was I had never dated a Christian girl in my life. And so I had this, like, relationships with, with people before I was a Christian, like, so before I knew Jesus. And then now I'm trying to figure out how could I take, because I had game before, how do I take this game and then and apply it to the Christian world? And it was really, really hard, right? It was really, really hard. Because I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. That was a joke. I, that was a joke. <laughs> and um, I really didn't know what to do, honestly. So we, me and my roommate, who was a recent Christian, uh, new Christian, we, we uh, were at this large church, and we were looking at the bulletin, and we saw a singles ministry. And we thought, that's, that's our opportunity. We're going to show up as single dudes, and we'll meet single girls. We'll get married. We'll have kids. It'd be great, right? 
we show up to this Thursday night singles group, and everybody there is like my parents' age. And I had no idea that there was this whole subculture in Christianity that, like, they would have singles gathering, but singles wouldn't be, like, people that were, like, younger people. And so we show up, and it was, like, like an ink spot in a bowl of milk, right? We walked in there, and they look at us, and they're like, oh, we're like, what's going on, right? <laughs> and, um, and they're like, oh, you're, are you guys here? Are you guys the guest speakers? We're like, no, we're here for the singles ministry. And they're like, oh, right? <laughs> So I, I didn't know that, and, and, you know, some of you guys, you, you understand that. You, maybe you've been a part of that. Some of you are my parents' age, and that's not to, like, make any jokes or anything, but my parents are 54, so wherever you are, you can tell it. You're old enough to be my parents. Um, and so this whole idea of being single to me as a Christian was, I don't want to say it was, it was hard. It was just new territory. With many of our singles, it's not new territory, but it is, I would say, misguided or unguided territory. And so you can talk to any one of our pastors here, and they would tell you, there's not a week that doesn't go by that something about I want to be married, something about I'm being pressured to be married, something about marriage and or dating or wanting to be married does not come up. Part of it is the demographic of where we are. And so when we speak to this, we, we pray for the wisdom of God. And so first, let me just give you what our culture has and ta- um, taught about singleness in general. One, in Eastern culture... Um, marriage in itself is not only ideal, it is the thing. To get married and have kids is it. If you do not have a spouse, if you do not have children, there is something wrong about you. And so there's usually arranged marriages and so forth, and that would be Eastern culture. Like, it is the main thing. There's no way that you would be single. That's looked as weird. It's it's looked upon as second-rate citizens. Something must have happened to you. Like, oh, I'm so sorry for you, right? That's one side. Western culture basically glorifies individualism. And so it's do you for a while. Do your life. Who cares? You don't need anything else. And what happens with marriage is marriage becomes something that you only find a spouse, kind of like an accessory, if it can add to something that you already have. That you, and so what you have is you have many people within the church, you have both of these cultures clashing within the church, is that you have people who are prolonging marriage because I need to build my career. I need to do this, and I don't want anyone to jack up my particular life. And there's some wisdom in that, but I'm just saying, oftentimes, this, this people are prolonging this, not because they want to be single, excuse me, because they, they feel called to be single, it's because they are looking for their life and their life alone. And on the flip side, you have people that are just wildly pressured to get married. They're wildly pressured. And they don't want to go home, because when they go home, many of our, our people here, we, we, we leave our places where we grew up, we come to Arizona, go to ASU, we graduate, realize it's cheap here because it gets so hot, so we could stay here forever. And you don't want to go home because you want to go home, and depending on where you come from, especially if you come from, sadly, a Christian environment, it's kind of like, did you, have you met anybody yet? Have you seen anybody yet? Are you attracted to anybody? Are you dating? I got this person for you, right? And, you know, and, and they won't maybe say things explicitly or verbally, but people will give you that look, you know? Hmm. Right? It's like, you just sense it. And so it's like, okay, what would be the perspective, though? What would be a, a good kingdom expect, a perspective of marriage? And so here's what I want you to be able to do. Turn first to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, look at verse 29. I'm actually going to read verses 29 all the way to 31. It says, this is what I mean, brothers. That the appointed time has come. Oh, sorry, just joking. We're going to read that later. I'm glad you guys got there, though. 28. But to, to, to uh, excuse me, but if you do marry, you have not sinned, um, and if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned, yet those who marry will have worldly problems, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers, that the appointed time has grown very sharp, sharp, short. From now on, let those who have wives live as if they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. And you say, what is Paul saying? That if one who has a wife live as if he doesn't have a wife? That doesn't sound right, right? What, what is he talking about? In the perspective that Paul is talking about, Paul always has a kingdom perspective. And some of us remember this because we just finished this series, that there is what is called the already and not yet. The already is the word of God and the power of the gospel has broken in. The kingdom has broken in in Jesus. And so there's really good news in Christ. And what it does is it begins to propel our thinking about the future and about how things will be. 
and how there will be no more sin and how tears will be wiped away from our eyes and how this city will come and renew this world, that there is good news of the kingdom in Christ and repentance and faith in Jesus. But then he also understands that it's not yet, that there is brokenness, there is heartache, there is sadness, there is tension in our life. Though we're saved in Christ Jesus, that we still sin. And so with that, he's saying, so to those who are married and things are going good, we should never be too elated of it because it's still not the ultimate end goal of being one completely, fully, in an impeccable, sinless state with the Lord. And as when things are not the way we're supposed to be, we shouldn't get too low because there still is good news. And so there's this trajectory that Paul is looking for and saying, no matter whether you're married or whether you're single, you are part of, first and foremost, the family of God, that you have a family. But in a sense, you have a spiritual family that will always be in Christ Jesus. And so we give this perspective, one, in Christianity that no other religions had. And that is singleness is not second class, but singleness is equal and on par. Hear me, equal and on par. Not inferior, not superior to marriage. And therefore, we should have that same response. Somehow, as Christians, we've lost that. And this was not always the case. In fact, Stanley Howes, who's a professor at Duke, speaking to Christianity and other uh, religions, he says this about Christianity, the way it speaks to, to singleness. He says, one clear difference between Christianity and Juda- Judaism and all other traditional religions is the former's, that means Christianity's, Christianity's entertainment of the ideal of singleness as a paradigm way of life for its followers. He goes, what set it apart? Meaning a person could lose a spouse and be a widow and be taken care of and they were not looked upon as second-class citizens, that someone could have never been married, and they were never looked upon as second-class citizens, that no other culture did that. In fact, the letter in which we are uh, reading right now in 1 Corinthians, their view of things were so jacked up in Corinth that they came from a very overly sexed culture that many people were becoming Christians and then trying to sing, since we were from an overly sexed culture, the pendulum was swinging, that there were actually married people who were trying to be celibate, which that's ridiculous, but married people who were trying to say, now we were, we were going to be celibate. And Paul's saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's have an understanding of what the gospel is speaking to and what the word of God says about these things. Marriage and singleness are on par. They're both gifts from the Lord. They're both temporary gifts because they're not always permanent. People who have the gift of singleness will not always be single. Some of you will get married. People who are married, are not, they don't remain married. People die. Things happen that it's not necessarily a permanent gift. But both are empowered by God to the believers. They're a part of those, um, that, that have those gifts, to be able to live those gifts in such a way that honors God. And so the perspective is it's equal to marriage. What we do as Christians, and especially married people, married people give some, some of the worst advice to singles. And single people get even, give even worse advice to each other. <laughs> it's the truth. We, we say dumb things as married people. We say dumb things, and you probably heard this. You probably said it. I'm sure I probably said it. Is if you're content, once you're content, then God will bring your spouse. <laughs> Come on right? And it's like as if the married people, you were content before God brought you your spouse. Oh, yeah, I was content. So you have all these people faking that they're content. I'm content. I'm content, God. It's like, where's my spouse, right? No, 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 no. What sort of wisdom does the Bible give? And I believe in chapter 7 here, there's four practical things that we'll have from that. If, If the perspective is that, one, you should never be too high, even if you get marriage, even if that is your goal, even if that it is your destination, that it's not going to fix you, it's not your redeemer. So never be too high on it. There's an end goal, and that's being one with God and his family that you've already, that's already begun in Christ. And then if you are struggling, if you are saying, I want to be, and I'm not married, and whatever your struggles may be, there shouldn't be two lows because there is good news. Jesus has to be enough, and he promises to be enough for the married and the unmarried. Amen? So four practical things, and I'm going to say this. Um, there is, this is different than most sermons we preach. Any topical sermons are going to be different than most sermons that I, that I preach. But there are some things here as I was studying. I just need to tell you as your pastor, just, just as a pastor to, to shepherd you, there are some things that just need to be said from this stage, from the pulpit, not in the class, not on the first Wednesdays, from the pulpit that you just need to know. And these things are right here with these four things. The first thing is going to be honor God with your sex. Number two, honor God with your gift. Number three, honor God with your desires. And number four, honor God with your devotion. First, honor God with your sex. Turn back to chapter 7, verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning matters about which you wrote, meaning Paul is answering questions that were asked by the congregation. 
Sounds familiar. And he says this. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Okay? Pause. When Paul says that, depending on your translation, as some of you have NIV, it says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Which, that's just a euphemism. That's not the truth. Some of you are like, well, during the greeting time, oh, no, I touched, shook this lady's hand. I've already sinned in the sanctuary, right? <laughs> Paul is talking about sexual relationships. He said it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What he's talking about are people who are not married. Honor God with your sex life. You, have, you may have never heard this. Sex outside of marriage is sin. And say it again. Sex outside of marriage is sin. And some of you are going, duh, Ricardo. It is mind-boggling to me. How many people in this, this church, our church, right, are, we preach the Bible, all of life is offered Jesus' church, that when we sit down with them and people look at us as if we are speaking some other language when we say, are you sleeping with each other? It's sin. And they look at us and go, are you kidding me? Are you, are you being serious right now? Uh, uh, yeah. No, I'm not kidding you. I'm, I, what? I want to say the same thing to you. Like, sex in itself is a gift from God. It really is. He created it. He said it's good. A man and a woman came together. They, it's, it's a good thing um, in the context of marriage. However, outside of marriage, it's not. It's not something that honors God. And you can continue to read through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and it says that. Now, let, let me just deal with the junk for terms, because if some people go, well, we're not having sex. We're, we're not having sex. How far can we go, right? It's a terrible question for a Christian. The, the, the question should never be, can I do this, right? Like, how, how, far can I, how, how far can I go before it's sin, right? No. Are you honoring God with that gift that he's given you? And some of you go, well, man, it's, really, it's, it's, it's hard for me. You know, it's hard for everybody, you act like you're, you're like you're the unicorn, right? <laughs> God has given you drives. He's given you those things. Those are God-given, but there's a way in which they're supposed to be exercised and used, and it's not for your own good. It's not just for your own pleasure. Here's what we're taught. We're taught this in school. We're taught this by people, that it's just an appetite that you need to be able to fix. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. And again, some of us, it all depends on how we were shaped. I, I remember um, the first girlfriend that I had when I was probably 16 or 17, which I guess really wasn't a girlfriend, and, and her, her, this girl's mom was telling us, never marry for uh, love, marry for money. You can always get love. You can always get money, right? Like, that was just the wisdom we got, right? And, and the, other, the other one was this other um, couple that was in our life was basically saying, you should have sex before you get married. It's, you know, it's the whole, you got to text drive the car if you know you want to buy it. How are you going to know, right? No, no, guys, listen, that in some people makes logical sense to you. But if you, are, if, if you are a Christian, that means Jesus is your Lord. That means every area of your life, your money, um, your sex life, everything comes under his lordship. When I first became a Christian, the, this guy Eli was, that was discipling me, he said, I'll know that you're all the way in is when, you, um, when you're all the way for Jesus is when two areas come under God's lordship. And I said, what areas? He goes, the way you deal with your money and the way you deal with your sex life. And I said, the church can I have my money? <laughs> that other one, I don't know, bro. <laughs> like, uh, and the reality of it is the spirit of Christ has begun to convict me. This was, it's just the word of God. And so, guys, that's pornography. Um, that's anything, okay? Some people say, well, what can we kiss? Can we do, can we, what can we do, Ricardo? Can we go to the park together? Like, what can we do? <laughs> Hear me. Some people can hold hands. Some people can hug. Some people kiss. Some people can't. Whatever arouses you, you're dishonoring that person. Listen, it's not just a sin because God is trying to be the killjoy. God is trying to actually give you the true enjoyment. He created it, guys. Do you realize that everything that we have that is good, that God said is good, has been hijacked by sin and Satan? And so when we do things outside of God's, God's plan, God's framework, it's not that God is saying, I'm just trying to make you prove something. He's not trying to get you to prove something. He's trying to protect you for your good. That's why I says, as a pastor, I got to sit down and say, guys, it's not good. Let me just say something else on this. Living together or cohabitating, all of those things, guys, not wise. Is it a sin to live in the same house as somebody else that's of the opposite sex? No. Is it wise? Absolutely not. It used to be, I used to ask the question, hey, uh, first start off with, what's your story? Give me your testimony. Give me your story. First question I ask when a couple comes in that's not married, I go, hey, where do you guys live? Oh, we live. Oh, all right. I see where we're starting at, right? I'm just trying to get a background. Guys, it's not. Oh, well, for financial reasons. You'll hear this. Man, it's financial. Okay, come live with me. Oh, um, <laughs> no. 
No, if you want to honor God, you will make it happen. You'll make it happen. So first thing, it is not good for a man or woman to have sexual relations before marriage. It is sin against God, first and foremost, and it's a sin against other people. Let me just give you something else in this. Here's what sex does before marriage. It ruins an otherwise good relationship. Or what it can do is prolong a very bad one. Some of you guys are in relationships right now. You go back to, you go back to, and you go back to, and you know if you wrote down what's the best decision you wrote on a piece of paper, you know that, would, that wouldn't be it. There is scientifically, so biologically, there's oxytocin. Some of you guys know what it is because many of you are nursing mothers, and so that's what happens when you, the chemicals release when, when a child is being nursed from his mother, and it also is released in any sexual intimacy. The, the purpose of this chemical is to actually, it's called the bonding thing. It bonds you together, which makes sense as a gift from God when two sinners who enter into a covenant that they're supposed to be with each other for their whole life, that they can trust each other, that you begin to trust that person more than you normally would. Some of you are in relationships with people that you are trusting far more than you should. It's because you've given that away. It doesn't mean that God doesn't redeem it. Another thing that I get when people say they hear my story, they go, well, Ricardo, you did, you, you did it before you were married, and now you're married, and it's great. And I, No, it's not. Listen, no, it's not. It's not. When you get married, you, you, you bring a bag with you. And depending on the life that you live before you're married, that bag gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know what you do? You get married, and you dump it all on the bed, and you can't really begin to have true intimacy, not just physically, true intimacy until you deal with that crap. And that's exactly what it is. And one of the easiest ways for the enemy to begin to get you in your marriage is that area. If you weren't faithful before you get married, you want to you know why your wife is always asking where you've been, when you're going to come home. She's not nagging. She doesn't trust you. If, you were, if, you, if you're the flip side, you were the female in it, and you wonder why your husband's always asking questions, he's not nagging. He doesn't trust you. And look at your record. How does he know that you're going to be faithful to him if you say that, you, especially if you're a Christian, if you say that you were a Christian and yet you didn't honor your first covenant with God? It's a trust thing. So Holly and I got married. My wife had never been with a man before, and um, I, I almost said I did. Um, <laughs> that's not... <laughs> that's, not that's, that's not what I was going to... That's not what... I don't know why that even came to my head right now. I had not gone on... You know what I mean, right? I had been with people. So I came... So when, we, when we got married, guys, I'm just telling you, that was hard. We're seven years in. That was hard. I know couples who dated each other who were Christians, who did not honor God with their purity, got married, and it's hard for them. <laughs> Sin disrupts things. And so am I spending more time on this point? Absolutely. You know why? Because 80% of our people are single, and everything around us says it's not wrong. And if you don't hear it from me, if you don't hear it from the Bible, then that's my fault. That's my fault. So honor God with that. Amen? Some of you need to meet with people. If you're a woman and you want to meet with a woman, eat. Write down your, your information, and we'll get you with the woman. If you're a guy, we'll get your guy to walk through, disciple you through these things. All of it. Honor God with your purity. Okay, next three, a lot easier. Um, next one is honor God with your gift. Some people don't look at singleness as a gift. Some of you guys, gift. What do you mean gift? It's not a gift. Um, I don't want that gift, right? Can I give it back? No, there's no returns on this, right? Look with me in verse 7. Here's what Paul says. I wish that all were as I, I myself am. But each has his own gift from God, and one of one kind and one of another. Paul is saying, it's a gift. Because I wish people were like me. I wish they were single, um, which Paul himself was single. If you ever want to think about, okay, are there any good examples of being single? Okay, the Apostle Paul, he wrote over the half of the New Testament. He was a single guy, right? So that works. And this other guy, Jesus, he was single as well, right? So you have this good example. And he says it's the gift of singleness. I believe everybody has the gift of singleness until they get married. And that means that God gives you an extra measure of the spirit of faith to be able to live the way that he's called you to live. And so you use it as a gift like any other gift that we talked about last week. It is to love God and to love your neighbor, meaning your singleness is not for you just to build your career. Your singleness is not for you just to say, what can I do for myself? Your Christianity is not for that. It's how has God wired me? Yes, can I pursue things on my own? Absolutely. Can I pursue a career? Absolutely. How can I serve people more? How can I be a better friend? How can I be in people's lives? How can I serve my church? How can I serve my community? I have probably more time than married people, and we'll talk about that in a second. So honor God as a gift and, and thank God for the gift. Or if you can't, ask him to help you to understand how to be thankful for this season that you have in your life. It's a gift. One, honor him with your sex. Honor him with your gift. The next one, honor him with your desires. Read verses 7 and 8 with me. He says this, or 8 and 9. 
He says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Paul keeps saying that. I don't think he's like a jealous dude who wants to be married, but he keeps saying that. They remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, whenever we hear the word burn, we immediately go to hell, right? Um, Paul is not saying if you struggle with lust, you're going to hell, right? That's not what he's saying. What Paul is saying is if you have that gift, if you can remain single, he goes, that's good. That's a good thing. You know what? The church should encourage it. But if you don't, you've got to honor them with the desires. If you have a desire to be with another person, um, pursue marriage. There's some things you probably need to get in order in your life first. Um, I think you need to obviously work on the, and grow in your, your purity. You need to grow in responsibility, um, honestly. Uh, and then also you need, to, you need to grow in the understanding of just like how to submit to authority. That's men and women. Because you always hear people that are making excuses on things. Like, you know, people who don't submit to authority, they're always complaining about their boss. They're always complaining about their parents. Anything that kind of governs them, it's like they're, they're complaining about the streetlight. And then it's always red when I'm there, right? It's against me, right? So, that thing's on a timer, man. You're always there at that time. So anyone who could submit to authority, work on whatever those things are. But if you have a desire to be married, then pursue marriage. Pursue marriage. And I know some of you are going, I am trying to pursue marriage. I want somebody else to allow me to pursue them or pursue me and whatnot, and, and we can facilitate some of those questions. But it's the desires. In the, Cor- the Corinthian church, there were people who were trying to remain single that, that ought to have been married, and they were doing it for overly spiritual reasons. Sometimes we over-spiritualize things, too, instead of just being honest with people. A lot of times it happens in our dating, right? If you break up with somebody, and you, you never just say, I don't want to date you anymore. You say, God's telling me. <laughs> <laughs> I, first girl I ever asked out when I was a Christian I asked her I said hey, can I my buddy told me to say these words can I pursue you or whatever like that and she goes oh wow I'm really honored she goes you know what I had just prayed to ask God to seal this is a true story to seal my heart and to wait until he revealed things to me I can go back and pray to him and see if, if you're the one I'm like you can just say no right <laughs> don't over spiritualize it right oh no he's, he's right there right now I can't um so honor God with those desires that you have. Whatever those, if, those, if your desire is to be married, by all means, it's a, it's a good thing to pursue marriage. But if it's not, then it's a good thing not to pursue marriage. Uh, lastly, honor God with your devotion. And so if you look at verses, um, let's look at verses 32 to 35. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Speaking to single people. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. He's saying your undivided devotion. Here's the reality. Single people, there is this idea that somehow marriage is like the deal, right? Like it is the best thing that's ever happened to anybody in the world. And I don't want to demote marriage because I do think marriage is very good. I don't want to say in order to prove the singleness is good to just, you know, kick marriage to the curb. No, marriage is really good. However, there's things that happen in marriage. There's just realities that happen in marriage, especially when you're married and you begin to have kids, that your heart becomes just divided. The reality is the easiest person to make an idol is your spouse easiest person to make your spot your idol an idol is anything that you give your affections your attentions to that jesus himself begins to kind of fade the black and your spouse is and it's a good person it's a good thing and your children they get they get wrapped in that too that paul is saying i'm trying to spare you don't just rush into this thing don't just get married because you think oh um, i i have sexual desires that means i need to get married no because marriage doesn't cure sexual desires death Here's sexual desires, right? So hear hear me on this. Don't get married because there's this this dream that somehow it is the end-all, be-all. Paul is saying, no, there's there's realities that the marriage is hard, right? Here's what I think. People people try to build their kingdom. You build your life together, and you think it's great, and then you think you're going to be ready. There's going to come a moment where you think you're ready, and then you're going to invite somebody into your kingdom, right? And it's going to work, and it's going to be great. No. You know know what it's like? It's like my, 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 uh, my oldest son likes to build these, like, Lego block things, and then my youngest son comes in and just kicks it all down, right? That's marriage. 
right? <laughs> you think you have it all together. You get married, and it's like, we're going to start all over together. And so, so when it comes to it, there's anxieties. And here's the reality. There's more stuff that I care about now, that I think about now, that keeps me up now, that I have to constantly be trying to give to the Lord. What happens if I die? That, that question keeps coming up. So if I die, are my kids going to be taken care of? If my wife can be taken care of, will she get remarried? Oh, I want to think about that. Um, like, it's just like, and these things, these are just simple things that when it comes to it, do we have enough money for this? What school should we send our son to? Should we send him to private school, home school, public school? Does he even need an education? Um, like, <laughs> just whatever, what, those, are, those are anxieties that are, that, that, that are upon us. And so what Paul is saying is, I'm trying to spare you from those things. It's not as good as you think. It is great. Marriage is amazing. And I'm so thankful to be married to my wife, but it's not the end all. When I was getting discipled, my buddy Eli would always tell me, me and my other friend, like, man, I wish I was like you guys. I, I remember what it was like to be single. And we're like, no, we want to be like you. You're married and you have kids and life seems to be great for you. And he's like, life's not great for me. I'm like, no, it looks great. You guys have dinner at night. You pray around the table. And he goes, yeah, but what are you guys going to do tonight? We're going to hang out with some friends, hang out. Tomorrow we're going to go to the lake. And he's like, I'm not going to do any of that, right? I'm like, why not? He goes, because I'm married, <laughs> right? And, and, and the reality of it is it's not like a ball and chain thing. It's responsibility. That's your responsibility, and it's a good thing. I mean, like now when it comes to last-minute things, like when I want to do something last-minute, my wife's going to bed early, my kids are, I, I never text my married friends because they're not going to answer, right? My single friends will answer. What are you doing? Nothing. Come hang out with me. Uh, please, right? <laughs> Married friends, you call them, they don't answer, and they'll get that text back. You can know they're at the dinner table. What are you doing? What's up? I'm eating right now. <laughs> you, have, you have more time. I also believe this. Being single, you can, you can actually be better friends with people. You can be better friends with people. There's just certain things that my wife and I can't do with, with other people in terms of time because we have two young kids. Um, a lot of our time is spent together. A lot of our time is spent in our home. We can invite people into our home and so forth, but it's not the way that it was when we were friends. And um, I, I just remember before I got married, I thought, man, like when I get married, I'm not going to have any fun or anything like that. It's not to say that marriage kills that. In fact, you have more joy. It's a different type of joy. It's just different. And while Paul is saying it's different and there's more anxiety. So in that time, it's, when it says honor God with your devotion, it's not saying singleness is a preparation and the only time you can devote yourself to the Lord is when you're single. No, married people need Jesus at the center of their life. Single people need Jesus at the center of their life. Amen? All right, let's facilitate these questions. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I had no idea this question was going to get asked. Wow. Um, should I date a person who is not a Christian? What if I can maybe convert them? <laughs> You'd be Jesus. <laughs> okay, let's, let's just honor that. So in, in, the, in the Bible... Um, it talks about not being unequally yoked in First Corinthians. And how many of you guys have heard that? Don't be unequally yoked, right? You've heard that phrase before. Okay. So unequally yoked is an agrarian term that basically you would have two oxen together and you put a yoke on them to be able to make the line straight for farming, which I know there's a better way to say that if I'm not a farmer. And if the yoke was uneven, the lines wouldn't be even. And so, so Paul gives this reference of saying don't be unequally yoked because you're, you're, you're together with somebody for life. You, you made that covenant before them, those vows. And so he says don't be unequally yoked. And so you may say, well, we're talking about dating. We're not talking about marriage. Okay, well, here's what dating is. Dating in itself, or I, if you call it dating, if you call it courting, whatever you do with it, if you've kissed it goodbye, whatever, right? <laughs> is dating in itself is a step towards something else, whether that's defining the relationship or whatever. And it's another step, and whether that's boyfriend and girlfriend and then engagement. So eventually it goes somewhere. Every step you begin to make, if you find, if you, if you are a Christian and you find yourself with someone who's not a Christian, who is thoughtful, who is loving, who is caring, who is saying, hey, um, sure, I don't want to get in the way of you and your religion and whatnot, eventually there comes a point where you want to make that next step. And a few things are going to happen. You're going to push Jesus to the periphery, and that person's going to be right there. Or you get married and you're going to have to push that person to the periphery, and Jesus is going to be right there. Either or, you will not share the most intimate part of you with that person. If Jesus really is the most important person in the world to you, if you are a Christian, he is, then you are, you are telling that person, do you realize that every single decision that I make, major or minor, comes under his authority and lordship? And even if that person is willing, it, it's just not wise. Am, am I saying it's a sin? Because that's what you want to know. Is it a sin? Can I do it? I'm not trying to give you license. I'm saying it's not wise. It's not. 
Neither is it wise that if you're in a relationship with someone, you go, oh, I've got to break up with you now because you're not a Christian, see ya, and you don't give them the gospel. In terms of converting people, that whole evangelating thing, like if I date them long enough, they may love Jesus. And um, there are probably people here in this room who are married and go, man, if my wife wouldn't have married me, I wouldn't have been a Christian. Or husbands would have said, if my, or vice versa, if wives would have said, um, if my husband wouldn't have married me, I wouldn't be a Christian. God works through all sorts of ways. That's not a means to get people saved. I share this all the time, but C.J. Mahaney, who I love, um, he, in his book, uh, one of his books that he wrote, he talks about how he became a Christian and he, and he was smoking weed, right? I don't go around handing blunts out to people and go, sorry, evangelism plan, right? You know, worked for him, right? God is just sovereign, and he works through all sorts of means. And so if he worked through that, God bless it. It's still not ideal. It's still not ideal. So, yeah, I would say it's not, it's not wise. It's not wise. You don't share the same worldview. Next question. Does God call us to one person? If so, should I wait? to date or meet that person? If you wait for that person, you may never see them. Uh, (laughs) um, I believe God calls us to one person once we say I do, right? Um, Once we say I do, that's the person. Before then, it's not date everybody. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying I think the whole idea of just wait, 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 and not do anything is is like, that's like saying I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a job. What are you doing looking for a job? I'm just praying and waiting. (laughs) <laughs> okay, you're not going to get a job. <laughs> so when it comes to that, remember we talked to the book of Ruth a few, few years ago? And I love what Ruth did. Ruth had some, like, very Old Testament-type game, right? And so what Ruth, what Ruth did is Ruth didn't go ask Boaz out, but Ruth, like, put herself in the view of Boaz. And, and anyone that, is a, that wants to marry someone named Boaz is a godly woman, right? <laughs> and so... Ruth, just, she just put herself in, you know, in his, in his view, and so there was some intentionality. So I think God calls you to one person once you're married, but before that, look at someone who loves Jesus, really loves Jesus, and someone who loves Jesus, all right? And I say that not even to be funny. Here's what I'm saying. You guys, we put way too much value on beauty. We really do. We put way too much val- value on preferences. I remember when I was dating Holly, I was like, oh, man, she doesn't like the music I like. She didn't even know people who sung the songs that I sing. She was like Amy Grant, Sandy Patty. And I'm like, who are those women? They don't play them on 92.3, right? So those are, those, are, those, are, those are preference things that, don't get me wrong, they matter. What matters most? I believe, and me and Tim Anderson are in agreement with this, two people who deeply love Jesus. I don't care about your background. I don't care about your upbringing. There are issues, don't get me wrong. Um, could have a healthy marriage. Do you like them? And do they love Jesus? And proceed from there. Is it okay to date someone you can't see yourself marrying right away? Yes. Guys, dating is new. Or courting, whatever. It's new. It's like not, if you, if you go get coffee with somebody and you're like, oh, I don't know. I can't see myself having kids with them, right? <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, but don't use them. If you know that you don't want to be with that person, end it quick and be honest with them. Don't say God told you or any of that stuff. <laughs> just, just be honest with them and say, I don't see this going any further. I'm, I'm done. That's it. Don't drag people along. Girls, don't, don't let the guy keep buying you dinners because you ran out of sun, sun dollars or whatever it may be, <laughs> right? When it's over, it's over. But when it comes to, uh, but when it comes to it, you, just because you hang out with them once doesn't mean that you need to know all those things. You get to know people. You get to know people. That means take time. Take your time. Some people do know right away, though. From a married person. Thank you. Um, how can we encourage our singles who are struggling with making marriage into an idol? Um, that's a great question. In fact, as pastors, we've been asking that same question. Here's the deal. Give them real expectations. It's real balanced expectations. What we do is we say marriage is hard, it's terrible, it's the worst thing in the world. And then you have some singles are like, perfect, never get married, right? <laughs> and then sometimes we as Christians, sometimes we write our books, have all our conferences on marriage and how great it is, and we don't give them a right expectation of it. The other part is help them in other areas of their life. Usually when someone is really, really discontent and making marriage an idol is because usually there's other brokenness in their life that they're looking to that to fix. Begin to ask really good diagnostic questions. Questions like, we're, like sexual questions. Ask them about their family. Um, just those things. Um, and so, and just come alongside and be there for them. My, I have single friends that are well into their 30s, and they are so 
honest with me of how I can love them. Single people, be honest with your married friends. My, my, one of my best friends loves the Lord will tell me, I need this from you right now. I need a hug from you right now. And I'm not a real touchy-feely guy, and he knows it. He's like, I know, come, come here, come here. <laughs> right? Be honest with them. I just think be there for them and continue to invite them into your house. That's the best way to give them an understanding of marriage. That was the best way for me. From a single person, how can I speak into a married person's life if I'm single? And are there boundaries of things that I cannot say? You can speak directly into anybody's life as a Christian. It's not to say that if you're not married that you, don't have, you can't speak into marriage, especially when you see someone's life. Here's the reality. Some of our, like next week when we do with marriage, marriages right now, guys, just to be honest with you, not just in our church but in Christians and world in general, it's hard, and part of it's hard is because as Christians, we didn't deal with things as singles. We had friends, we had hangout times, we got beer together, we got coffee together. No one, no one confronted anyone, no one pointed anyone to Jesus. And what happens is now you got in the marriage and no one's still pointing anyone to Jesus. And so you come to church, you check your kids off, and your marriage is just dry and stale and crusty because Christ has never been centered. But things were going good. And now that things have hit the fan, you go, why? A single person could look at that and go, man, you've never really trusted in the Lord. Circumstances were good. And now circumstances are good. And now you've walked away from Jesus or you're drifting away from Jesus. So you, if you are a Christian, you can speak into their lives. In terms of saying, are there boundaries? Yeah, I think that you shouldn't. If you're a guy, you should be talking to your buddy's wife about anything to do sexually. Serious. Um, other boundaries, um, I wouldn't go and tell them about their parenting style. Like, man, your kids should be, you know, you, you know, how they're eating or things like that. Ask questions is the best thing. Instead of assuming things, always ask questions, you know when it comes to things. But you can speak into their life biblically, what the Word of God says. Um, for those of us who are divorced, how should we deal with stigma that it carries in church when pursuing remarriage? Um, uh, uh, off the top of my head, I can think of five people who, um, before they were 30, in our own congregation divorced. And that's just the reality of it. It sucks. Um, how do we deal with the stigma that it carries? You can't deal with the stigma in the sense of you can't change it. But I think, if anything, you continue to, you don't, don't feel like you have to keep telling your story. Well, here's why. Don't be apologetic like this is where I am right now. If people know you, you can tell your story. But you don't got to tell your story to everybody. That's one. Um, the other part of it is just to just realize that people are equally as immature as, as, as you are and I am. And so sometimes we don't see things as we ought to, and we don't know the full story, and therefore there's a stigma there. Um, I would say this, being in this congregation, it's not as big of a stigma as it is in other places. And so we have younger divorced people, we have older divorced people, and so forth. You're welcome. That's why Paul begins to look to the future. He goes, there's one perfect family. There's one marriage that will never be divorced, and that is a relationship that we have with Jesus and with our Father and our family. As long as you keep that central, married, single, divorced, widowed, whatever, that matters most. It matters most. It matters more than your marriage. In fact, that is the one thing that's keeping your marriage intact, is understanding what God is doing, what he's done, and what he will do. I'm in some financial debt. Should I get out of it before getting married? Um, so I had debt in college, or after college, and I had dumb debt. And when I say dumb debt, some of you guys have legitimate debt because you, you, know, you paid for school and, and you have you know, loans and all that. I had a scholarship. Not only did they pay for my school, they gave us a check to, to help get food. And then because my mom made a certain, didn't make that much money, I got a Pell Grant. So I had money. But what I did was, you know, like, this is like 2000, 2001. Everywhere you went, somebody was giving you a credit card. And I was collecting those things like it was Costco snacks, right? <laughs> and, and, like, I'm getting all these credit cards, and I'm charging things, not paying things. And so when I graduated from college, when I met Holly, it was, she asked a question, like, are you in debt? And I... Uh, and I was like, oh, yes. And it's like, how are you in debt? It was because I was just, just being dumb, buying stuff, not paying it back. And so it was like, we need to work on that before we get married. And so it all depends on your debt. If you have medical debt, you know, you were in the hospital for some time. If you were, uh, you know, you're paying off school and whatnot, here's what you do. Instead of just working on your debt, be responsible. If you know you have debt, quit buying stuff. Quit living above your means. Married people, non-married people, that's all of us. Consumerism is a big, big deal. And so we think we have needs. It's create, you know what, you know what bad marketing does? It creates in us needs that we think are real needs when they're not. And so we buy, 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 and that's an issue. And that was me in college. So I would say have responsibility and to disclose, fully disclose those things. And just know that when you get married, you are going to absorb that person's debt and be willing to do that. 
whatever that debt may be. You may have gone to like MCC, right? And you have zero debt and then your, your spouse could have gone to like Biola. <laughs> you're like, just because you went to Christian school, I got to pay 40000 Yeah. So <laughs> you absorb that. And so I would just be responsible about your finances and be honest with them. Two more questions. As 1 Corinthians 7.38 saying that singleness is better, is 1 Corinthians 7.38 saying that singleness is better than marriage. Okay, let's read it. So then he who marries is, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Um, Paul in there, in this particular text, 36, um, 37, and 38, it's actually two, two views on that. Some people think that the language is talking about a, a father giving his wife away. I mean, excuse me, a father, a father giving his daughter away. That's not, that's not <laughs> permitted either, by the way. I didn't know if that was going to get asked. <laughs> um, is a father giving his daughter's hand away in marriage? Whether he does, great. Whether he doesn't, great. Because they were men in this particular culture because, of, again, they became Christian and they were trying to push back against the oversex culture. We're saying, no, you're going you're gonna to remain with me forever. The other view, which I hold, is it's saying that people who are holding their virginity, their purity, are honoring, uh, honoring God, is that if they continue to honor God, that's good. If they remain single, even better. It's not saying that singleness is better than marriage because that would be inconsistent with the rest of the biblical teaching. One more, one more question. My, pa- oof, yeah. My past is filled with sexual sin, including pornography, and now how do I learn how to desire godliness over physical beauty? Um, be honest. Be honest. That's everybody. Married people, not married people. The pornography thing is real. Um, men and women. Get help. Um, even if it was a pornography thing, if you had this past, right, like, like I had, um, how do you deal with these things? Is you, you, you really, it's going to sound very trite, I don't mean it to, you really have to fall in love with Jesus and let him reset those things. And the reality of it is, when you hit the reset button, it doesn't mean that those things aren't there, right? You have memories, you have smells, you have songs, you have locations that will bring up your past. There are certain times in, in your, that your past, you know, everyone who has some sort of past, no matter what your past may be, there are certain things that will come up in your mind that you weren't even thinking of. Know, know what the Bible says of that? Corinthians says this, take that thought captive. Don't let it grow. Don't let it feed. Don't, don't feed it. Quit looking at things. Women, I think this is equally as important for you. Quit looking at other women as that, if that's the way you're supposed to look. Quit sizing yourself physically, literally, figuratively with other women. It's God made you. He didn't make you to be them. He made you to be you. Your circumstances, your body, your thought process, he made you. Let him redeem those things. So when it comes to it, one, it's got to be, for me, I can just give my personal experience. When it came to it, I really had to sit my, submit myself to God. I had to look at it and realize I had been so radically shaped by the world around me that I need, I need to be conformed. This is the way Paul says in Romans chapter 12. It says, be, therefore, after all of the stuff that he said for the last year and a half, we've been in Romans. We'll get to Romans 12 eventually. And it says this, offer your body as living sacrifices to God. Give everything of who you are to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And he says, the way you do this is by renewing your mind. That means washing yourself with God's word. Is it going to completely change you? Will you not have thoughts? Will you not have desires of, no, no. Listen, this is beyond, there's not a person in this room who looks at their spouse every single day and go, they are the hottest person. No, they might say it, they're lying, right? The reality of it is you just love that person. You love that person. So, and I would say this, I, I think even than the physical part, I think the pornography, pornography part may be worse. It's one man's opinion. Here's why. Um, more people have more partners on the internet than they do ever in real life. And so you've seen so much. And it's asking God to wash you and renew you um, and walk with people and be honest. I found talking out loud with close men in my life just about struggles, thoughts, whatever, was the best thing for me. And being able to be, and when they were honest with me, that's helpful. But there's, there's, um, there's no other way. However, I would say this, is maybe close, no matter who you are, let it be your past. Let, any, let all that stuff be your past. And, and, and ask by God's grace that it doesn't become your future. It doesn't become your present. Because no matter what, you are not defined by your sexual sin. That's the hard part about sexual sin. It makes you, it makes you believe you're defined by it. 
You're not defined by what you watch on the internet. You're not defined by any of those things. You are defined, first and foremost, that you are loved. When you understand that, when you begin to understand deeply of who you are, creating the image of God, not a sinner, created in the image of God, loved by God, redeemed in Christ Jesus, the more you understand that, the more you begin to live your life unto that and from that. Amen? That would be my prayer, whether you're single or not, past or not, sexual sin or not. Understand who you are and how God views you, and that begin to change the rest of your life. Let's pray. God, just even ending on such a sober, sober question, Father, is that the reality of it is, God, there are many of us, Lord, who have questions not just about singleness, but our lives in general. The standard in which you've given us is impossible, Lord. And that's why we need Jesus. And we are thankful that you've given us Jesus. And we're thankful not only you just gave us Jesus, but you gave us the power of the Holy Spirit. God, help us. You gave us the church the family of God, to do life not as isolated individuals, but, Lord, as a community, participating in the very body and blood of Jesus. God, would you be for us our strength? Would you fuel our worship? May Sunday gatherings be a moment and a, and a part in our week, Lord, not that we just attend to get something for ourselves, but to participate. Participate with one another. Encourage us, God. And, Lord, will the facades begin to just drop down And would you begin to reveal to us, Lord, not just who we are, but who you see us to be in your son, Jesus. God, you would would take our insecurities, you would take our loneliness, Father. God, and you would use it for your glory. You would redeem it, Father. Bring people. We need companion. And we were created in your image, Father. Father, Son, and Spirit, and existing in community. Will you give us deep, intimate relationships in non-sexual ways for singles? And in marriages, would you cover them? Would you link them? Will Christ be central to everything that we do and say and believe in this church? Give us a a healthy expectation, Lord, of what could be and what will be. And God, give us hope and strength in the present realities of where you have us. God, help us to understand that you are changing us from one degree of glory to the next and that you who start a good work, you'll finish it into completion. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.